Ba 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 da da do. We're back. Oh hey. Hello. What's up? And how are you? How how are you doing today? And a good day you are having one. I hope. We have good days. We have bad days. Hopefully yours is one of the good days. I guess. Wow, we're good at introductions. I, I think that uh, the spoken word is our finest forte at this time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, um, you ready for this? Yeah. Days. Good <laughs> or bad? Oh. <laughs> Very nice, very nice, very nice, very nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Good, 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 good. I think I'm going to drop out of college and try to pursue spoken word poetry. I've heard it pays well. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a dig at anybody who knows spoken word. No, not at I all. Think, I think spoken word is very cool. If, like, if you can do it, I think it's incredible. If yeah. you want to do it, fucking do yeah. it. Exposing myself as a nerd here, I had a big spoken word phase. Yeah. I think that it's uh, great. My favorite slam poetry piece is To This Day. If you look up To This Day on YouTube, it'll probably pop up. Mm. Um, I'll put it in the show notes. It's yeah. very, it's very nice. It's That's... it's sad, but nice. Well, hey, sometimes you got to get that catharsis, you know. And yeah, dude, you know, this week I had a ton of that. Like I was watching sad yeah. movie after sad movie. Since we recorded uh, that episode about talking about sad movies, you went and started watching sad movies. Yeah, <laughs> I I would I, I watched um, about time, which you suggested yes. in the last one, which. Definitely, I I watched it the night we recorded. Yeah, I like immediate. It was like eleven p.m. and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna finish this two and a half hour movie." I still highly recommend About Time. A great movie. I cried. If 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 I if I needed to figure out if someone was someone I wanted in my life, if I showed them About Time and they exhibited no emotion, if that would be it. We yeah. Would be done so. Yeah. It's a. Oh my god, it's really just so good. It's very good. Uh, the next night, I watched Perks of Being a Wallflower. That is a very sad movie. <laughs> and a much sadder book. <laughs> yeah, I really want to read the book now because, wow, did that, like, mm-hmm. it just hit. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this sounds... I can recommend many sad books to you. Yes, I would love some sad um, books. Can I recommend Going Bovine by Libba Bray? Uh, it's a book about a kid who gets mad cow disease. Whoa. Um, and goes through the experience of discovering the meaning of life. Dude. I highly recommend this book. It's great. That's yeah. I'd love um, to read that book. It, I, it's 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 a little bit PG thirteen slash R rated okay. for any of our listeners who right. are sensitive to that kind of stuff. But it's a, it's a good book. I definitely like anything that's just like, hey, let's let's figure out the meaning of life. I'm like, I'm I'm down because like, here's the thing. I don't know. No, no one does. No one. That knows. is the fun part of it. Oh, uh, but uh, man, it, like, well, I just want an answer. Oh yeah. Well, what 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 were your other sad movies? Just the two. Uh, I had just those two, and then I went on a bit of a break because uh, the day after, like that second one, I was just like, "Ah, man, I, I'm sad. Man, I'm sad. I gotta take a, a I hot love, break." I love a sad movie with a uplifting end. Yes. That's what that's what about that's, time does for me. Absolutely. That's the one. There's a Christmas movie uh, called The Family Stone that has been slandered by some podcasts <laughs> that I listen to and love. So I had a moment of like, I'm like, what? I love this Christmas movie. But it's kind of silly, and the middle is sad, and then the end is like, ah, life moves on, and we continue on. Interesting. Um, I, mean, well, I also love Dead Poets Society. Not sure if that's a big uplifting end. Oh. Uh, it, it isn't. But it's not. It is a great movie. But it hits like nothing else. It's, yeah. and, you know, I will say, uh, the end of Wallflower was definitely uplifting mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, the, the main focus of it was, uh, well, there was actually a lot of focus about depression, about mm-hmm. trauma, a lot of... High school hard. High school hard. College hard. Turns out life hard. Yeah. Um, but it it just was about, like, being in the moment. Yeah. At the very end of it. 
And it's like, at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what people think of you, but just be there mm-hmm. in good that stuff. moment, which is really good. Yeah. Um, speaking of good things, Georgia, what did you learn this week? I learned a really weird conspiracy theory. Ooh. I don't, I don't really prescribe to conspiracy theories as like on large, but I adore learning about them. Uh-huh. And so a new one popped up yeah. uh, into, into my internet sphere and I was fascinated around, uh, this This was coming out probably like a week after Easter, but it was one of those like Easter conspiracy theories. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And I was like, oh, do share. And so during the crucifixion, this is very sad, but uh, the way people who were crucified would die was that their lungs would fill up with fluid. Yeah. And so to make sure Jesus was dead, they puncture him in the side with a spear, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Bible says that uh, water and blood sprung forth from his chest. Yeah. Or... They punctured his lung and the fluid left, allowing him to breathe. Then, Whoa. we're carrying on. I have not backed this up with heavy research. Again, establishing that I don't really prescribe to this. I just think it's fun. The person who buried Jesus was uh-huh. a secret Jesus sympathizer. He was a Roman guard who uh, oh. believed that Jesus was the son of God, right? Uh-huh. Um, some other scientific facts. They wrap him in linen that is treated with honey and myrrh. Honey is naturally antibacterial. And myrrh is naturally uh, antibacterial and antiviral. Hmm. And then they lay him in a tomb of limestone. Limestone is naturally sterile. And then a Jesus sympathizer closes the tomb. And he chills out for three days to rest and recuperate in a naturally sterile environment. And then three days later, they let him out. Holy shit. And so instead of rising from the dead, he never dies. I mean, look. Isn't that fascinating, though? It is fascinating. Regardless of what you believe, a very interesting set of, like, historical coincidences. Historical coincidences mixed with, like, scientific fact. Very they Whether they knew that limestone was sterile or not. Yeah. And I I think there's a lot of, like, really important notes in there. Like, even if, like, one thing went wrong with with those elements, that person could still, you know, die. (laughs) Um... And he had no medical treatment. It right. was just kind of like, go lay down for a little bit and see if you feel better. That's full on. That's like One Piece recovery. I've been yeah. watching a lot of One Piece recently. And like all the characters in that show, they'll just like go through a, a major fight where they literally mm-hmm. like are on the brink of death, have broken bones everywhere. And then they're like, I just got a nap. And like yeah. one nap and later, they're fine. Sleep. And it's like, I wish. Yeah. I wish I could do that. I wish I could just take a nap and it'd be fine. It doesn't work that way. No, no, it does not. Yeah. Sadly. Well, but, well, what did you learn this week? So last week, I started to mention a fact, and then I never, I didn't continue it because I wanted to save it for this week. <gasps> so I've been taking an anthropology class, and it's super fun. We learned about evolution. We learned about history. It's great. But last week, we were talking about beavers and platypi and how they have very similar traits, but they probably didn't come from the same genus or, like, mm. family, which does make sense and you see this a lot in uh natural evolution it's called uh convergent evolution is this the thing where everybody turns into a crab no but i wish Hi. there's a there is a thing connected to the same term i believe i will have to look it up though where sometimes evolutionarily things just become crabs this is this very is this is something i just pulled from the deep recesses of my memory i did not look that up at all uh, please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes I think things just become crabs. Everyone is crab. Right. I feel like crabs... Carry on with your back. Well, 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 I do want to talk about this crab tangent I'm looking, for a second. I'm looking up the crab thing. Because here's the thing. It would make sense 
You know, crabs yeah. are pretty, well, they can take a beating, you know. They, they have their shell on the outside and their muscles on the inside. No real brain power. They just kind of move. And uh, uh, it's carcinization is an example of convergent evolution where in which a crustacean evolves into a crab-like form from a non-crab-like form. Oh, I was not okay. wrong. I You're pulled not that, wrong. I pulled that out of the place of my brain. I really so wish, it's a thing. I really wish that instead of just that, it was that evolutionarily, like, all species are on a path towards becoming crabs. You know, maybe they are. Maybe we're just not there yet. Maybe so, that's, like, the highest of all. Mother Nature's like, have some patience. You'll get your claws. Just You'll not get your claws. Yeah. One day. Yeah, it's one like day. angels getting their wings. Just like, I can't wait to get my claws. <laughs> okay, okay, so convergent evolution is kind of like that, except not really. Well, that actually, yes. No, that's, that's very much it, actually. Okay, okay. Um, Basically, what it is, is is that independent of each other, different species will evolve to get some of the same traits. Mm-hmm. So, like, sharks and dolphins are a good example of this. Where dolphins are mammals, sharks are fish. Sharks are shark fish. Uh, but they are technically fish. So, um, they have a lot of the same traits. And they have, like, like they have the dorsal fin. They have their side fins and a yeah. tail. Um, the dolphin tail's are horizontal, whereas uh, shark tails are vertical. Yeah, because they got to jump. Mm-hmm, exactly. They are, but they are very similar. Um, basically, this is just an example of convergent evolution where you're like, oh, these two things must be related, but through further analysis, we find that they're not related at all. That's really cool. Um, That's like what we were talking about last week with the... With the um, yeah. The, uh, when things aren't genetically the same, but people say they look the same, so they are. It, exactly, exactly. So uh, it's it's even like with fish. You're, you're sitting there lumping them all together in yeah. one uh, species. But really, they're all incredibly different. They've just got convergent traits. Wow, that's really so, cool. That's super fun. I really, I really enjoyed this anthropology class. Are there animals with convergent traits that don't live in the same environment? Um, I guess yeah. there are because no, there definitely like, are. like whales have the same, have a similar skeletal skeletal structure to land mammals. Mm-hmm. They're just flattened out because they're whales. Yep. There's tons of different things like that all around. So, some of them, I'm sure it's because they're evolving from the same genus. They have similar ancestors. For a lot of them, that stopped millions of years ago, and now they're just evolving separate traits that are kind of similar. I think that's really that's fucking cool. Really fascinating. That's really fascinating. Oh, man. Well, wonderful. So, yeah. Now, this has been a fun set of facts. We've been very on the biology We have. Uh, vibes. We have. And the maybe Jesus didn't rise from the dead vibes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like that's biology, too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. I'm in a science class. <laughs> um, but, yeah, let's get into the episode. Let's do it. Whoa. Hi. No. We're back. Hi. Um, we're back. Now I have lemonade. Ooh, coffee's not all we drink here. I have had coffee today, and that could be an ex... ex, mm. Explanation? I was going to be like an explanatory reason, uh, but explanation works, I think. Why I am the way I am today, just like very disoriented. Oh, yeah. I've been really consistently drinking coffee every day. You know, it's really interesting. I haven't been drinking as much coffee, but ever since you told me about that... uh, thing with ADD or ADHD, or mm-hmm. it's just ADHD, yeah. with ADHD brains where coffee or caffeine won't as much just like boost your energy, like it will, <clears throat> but it hyper-focuses you. Yeah, caffeine self-medicates you if you have and a like, focus issue. I, I had never thought about it because 
I don't really get too pumped up from caffeine. Yeah. But I do am able to like focus and concentrate yeah. more, which is really interesting. I've become I've become a lot more alert with uh-huh. with caffeine. Um yeah. I don't know. I, if I if I just weaned it out of my diet, I'm pretty sure I'd be fine. Right. The the reason I drink coffee in the morning is not because it like makes me awake. It's because it helps me get up to do something. Like yes. this is a task that I will do. And while I'm in the kitchen making coffee, I will probably also make food and mm-hmm. you know pack my bag for the day. Right. So it's, it's more of a routine based thing. It's just than, something to get you yeah. out of bed. So since we're on break right now, I have not been getting coffee because mm-hmm. I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Um. And that is not. Uh, it's making me sleepy because now I'm realizing I've become more caffeine dependent than I used to be. I feel that. I feel that. I need to. I need to start drinking more. Not need to. I feel like that sounds bad. I need it. I need, I need it. the coffee. But give me the caffeine. I think it would help me focus more. I. It's possible. I've definitely you know? had a lack of focus recently. Granted, I did, I was just trying to enjoy the break as much as possible. Mm. And it's been nice getting a lot of sleep, but now I got to get homework done, so that's fun. Yeah, we truck along. You get you get on get on on the road near, <laughs> drive your truck where you need to go. And this is why Georgia needs coffee. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't sleep well last night, and I didn't drink coffee either. And now I'm like all over the place. But, so, but fortunately. I am not the one in charge of this episode because today's a special topics episode and Dakota Benfield will be That's leading right. our special topic. I'm going to be leading that special topic. <laughs> uh, I did some research into this topic. It's a pretty interesting one with no completely clear or conclu- conclusive answer. That's always the best way to go. Oh, for sure. Which is why I wanted to talk about it because I want to yeah. get your, your views on it. Um, I had some fun conversations about it with some people um, and it can get pretty heated. So we're oh, gonna- my, oh, my. We're going to just, like, keep it light, keep it nice. Keep it light, keep it nice. I feel like that's, like, a slogan for, like, Smirnoff Ice. Keep it keep light, light, keep it, it nice, nice. Smirnoff Smirnoff ice. ice. We're not sponsored. But we should be. <laughs> Smirnoff <laughs> Ice, hit us up. <laughs> just, like, what would that ad even sound like? You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like talking about philosophy with your boys down by the lake. <laughs> that's right. After a long, hard day of philosophizing. Yeah, because whatever... <laughs> Everyone wants to hear at a frat party is what you think about the afterlife. <laughs> Smirnoff ice. Smirnoff ice. It really <laughs> loosens you up to talk. I don't know. I there's no good. This is nothing. This is nothing. nothing. Okay, okay. Sponsor okay. us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the topic of today's episode is <laughs> drum rolls, drum rolls, and drum ro- morality. Morality. What is it good for? Oh, much. Uh, Yes. Or nothing. (laughs) Or nothing at all. I feel like that's the point of this talk. (laughs) Yes, it is. Okay, hippie, morality, what is it good for? Yeah, no, I want to know your definition, just to start us out, like, what do you think morality is? My personal definition of morality or my broad definition of morality? Well, now I want to hear both. (laughs) Uh, My broad definition of morality is a set of principles that are used by the human species to dictate how we treat one another. Mm-hmm. My personal definition of morality um, is the constant debate within ourselves between personal gain and suffering. Or ooh, between, ooh. Uh, between, uh, between reducing suffering for others or personal gain for ourselves. Um, uh, so by okay. using the moral structure of my own life, I am constantly deciding between benefiting myself or benefiting someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I am losing a personal benefit and they never even know 
that right. I've made that sacrifice, right. that is encompassed in my morality. Because if they knew, then it would be no personal gain. It would still be personal gain for myself, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't actually have been moral or ethical. Interesting. Oh, that's that's really like an interesting way to put it. Because it's, like, it's it's the grouping of, of structures of, of, of why we do or do not hurt people. We, we mm-hmm. assume less moral people do more harm. Right. More moral people do, do less, less harm. harm. I I like your definition of it, like how it really is a, how you affect other people, mm-hmm. harming other people or not. And mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to look at it because we'll get to uh, my ideas on it and like right. where I'm at with it. I do want to say before we carry on, I try to separate morality from my religion and my values. I have a, yeah. I have a set of values mm-hmm. that uh, do not influence my morality. Yes. Um, because they're personal values. Like, I personally wouldn't steal. I also wouldn't stop someone from stealing unless mm-hmm. it was going to hurt someone else. Well, because I don't think that that's morally fair or right. I... That's really, really interesting. <laughs> so, I, I was talking with some people earlier today um, about the difference between subjective and quote-unquote objective morality. Mm-hmm. The, the problem with objective morality it's almost a fallacy in itself how do you define objective morality well that's that's actually something i was going to bring here so we could discuss and try to figure that out because objective morality the idea behind it anyway is like rules or morals that are unlike questionable whether whether people like act on them or not uh, uh some standard that the whole human race has um but the real question is how do we get how do we get an objective morality? Oh, you okay. Know? Uh, because I know some people who immediately say like religion. Mm-hmm. Religion is how you get your uh, objective morality, and without religion, you couldn't have it. Oh, I have an answer for this. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I got a <clears throat> couple as well, but I want to hear yours. Okay. So my understanding from a religion perspective is that we use religion to explain what we don't know, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, there's a bright white light in the sky that sometimes set things on fire. Uh, we don't know what that is. We don't know what causes it. So we say there's a big man in the sky who throws lightning at people. Right. And that's how Zeus becomes, you know, a part of our mythological canon. Mm-hmm. Um, feels bad to hurt people. It doesn't feel good. Right. It feels right. bad to hurt people. And we can acknowledge from observing kids and observing our own behavior that someone has to talk you into hurting someone for it to start to feel neutral. Mm-hmm. And someone has to really convince you you're benefiting someone else for it to feel good to hurt someone else. Inter- we don't yeah. go to war as right. kids and feel okay about killing someone until someone has convinced us mm-hmm. that we are saving your the life of your family right. or the freedom of, right. of your people um, by convincing you that, that that thing is good and therefore moral. So we have a baseline of morals as children, mm-hmm. right? Um, that well, hurting people feels bad. I will say, I will say, there, there is that. Like, I know when I was younger, I had that. But I don't think everyone does have that. I, there are definitely some children whose first instinct is like me, myself. Yeah. I want that toy. Why shouldn't I go over there and take that toy from someone else mm-hmm. who's playing with it? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. We, we do tend to observe that with the majority of kids that don't exhibit psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies uh-huh. that the minute somebody starts crying, they don't feel the same way. They right. might take, 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 but when they have to acknowledge hurt, when mm-hmm. they realize that their actions have caused harm is when their reaction starts to change. Kids become right. less self-centered as they get older and then it shifts more and more as the perception of the world changes them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
if you know as a kid you don't feel good when you hurt somebody, most kids right, don't feel right. good when they hurt somebody, with some exceptions, why? Why Why would you feel that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we invent somebody to explain rain, we invent somebody to explain lightning, why don't we invent somebody to explain why it doesn't feel good to hurt your friend? Mm-hmm. Um, and as those things get created, they end up creating these moral structures that just get passed down uh, right. consecutively until we have this moral understanding that we have today. Interesting. So, okay. So still on objective morality. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that objective stance can ever change? Should it change? And does it oh, change? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Absolutely. good, good, good. Um, every, I mean, if you look through different cultures, there's uh-huh. a different level of, of, of objective morality. For sure. Um, there are cultures that are patriarchal that uh, don't find it to be uh, morally wrong to uh, keep women in, in the house for right. their whole lives or, or don't find it morally wrong, um, who don't find child marriage to be morally wrong. And so then you have to ask the question of, is that influenced? Right. Or is that natural? Um, my, my belief is that it is influenced. I and agree. Objective morality doesn't exist because no one can be removed from influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but then things like that we live, that we experience today. We experience late stage capitalism mm-hmm. um, that affects our understanding of morality heavily. Right. Which is why we have consistent discussions about who deserves what human rights are and who deserves them. Um, when mm-hmm. if somebody ever said, well, then can I take that away from you? You would say no. No. Yeah. If, if you said to me, can I take the roof off of your house? I would of say no. no. So then morally, I should believe that everyone deserves to have a roof over their head. Exactly. Right? It's, it's, that's not how it works because of right. influence. Right. And it, that's super interesting because that was a point brought up by uh, someone I was talking to where how do you sit there and say what is right and wrong for another culture? If it's an entirely different culture and... Uh, they have all of their like reasons and justifications for what they do, and to them it is okay and normal, and this is acceptable. Even though, from our perspective, morally it seems wrong, because if we were in their shoes, we wouldn't want that. Yeah, and I think the big question that changes, is something actually immoral, or are you just racist? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Does it cause harm? Right. Does it cause lasting right. harm? Um that, that you can can look at and say, like, oh, yes, this is harm that is mm-hmm. being caused. Um, and I think there are things in, in every culture that we consider moral that cause tangible, measurable, lasting harm. Yeah. Um, and so we can conclude that those things are immoral. Interesting. I feel like there are things that have caused harm in, in like, my life, but just with, like, even, like, religious trauma, mm-hmm. where it's, like, putting fear of, like, damnation. Would you say that that's immoral? I personally, yes. Yeah. Uh, broadly, no. no. I, I, I tend to I tend to place physical or debilitating right. mental harm. Right. Um. In my in my category of, of immoral harm, I think, um, I also want to call it like runoff, mm-hmm. runoff damage. It's it's like it's like when a flood comes through and the things on the outside of that flood are are gonna get hurt a little bit. Right. Um. I think those those do exist with with most things. Mm-hmm. Um. Because the, the internal context is so different. Like, um, th- there is more at play than just did religion give you trauma? Because right. the same thing that might have impacted you might have impacted somebody in a different way. Mm-hmm. But if someone punches you in the face and punches someone else in the face, you're both it's getting, getting a the same impact. Exactly. Um, okay. And so I, I find those to be 
in almost the gray area of morality mm-hmm. where I think that they should be considered and that they have other options that right. are more moral. Um, but it's almost impossible to brand them as completely immoral immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. Know? Ooh, ooh. You, you said something about like being more or less moral. Yeah. And like, it, it's interesting. It brings me back to a conversation I was having about it where um, I was asked, because I, I said that it's immoral to harm other people. I feel like, you know, uh, golden rule, treat others as you'd want to be treated. Yeah. That is pretty basic, but also holds a lot of weight. And so then someone asked me, well, what if you were being attacked? What if someone was like trying to kill you with the intent to like attack and kill you? Would it be immoral to kill them? And in my mind, that that's a tough one because like there's, you know, self-defense and everything. But I think there's definitely... I still think it's immoral. Mm-hmm. I would still I would feel wrong. I would consider it to be immoral to kill them. Yeah. No, that's I what I'm saying. W- would to, to self-defend? Yes. I don't know if self... I don't think self-defense is immoral. That's why That's why my immediate reaction was, mm-hmm. if I could debilitate and escape yeah. rather than killing them, that would be the way to go. Be- because harm is not the same thing as injury. Yeah. I... I, ru- I get hit by a car mm-hmm. uh, on accident. Somebody, somebody rear-ends me and, yeah. I, and I get whiplash. That's injury. Um, somebody sees me crossing a street and speeds up, that's yeah, harm. that's harm. That's intentional. Mm-hmm. Like, that, and I think that's what it is, the intention behind it. Yeah. Well, then, but then that, we can turn that back so quickly to what you said earlier of if the intention of the things that re- led to your religious trauma mm-hmm. was to save good, you right. and to be good. Can we still consider that harm if the intention was good? Mm. I think I think yes, because the impact is more important than the right, intent in right. a lot of ways. Um, that, mean, doesn't, that doesn't mean intent doesn't matter, though. Right. I mean, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We've heard that everywhere. That's true. It's super ironic to be talking about the church with that, but I... I it's such a tough question, which yeah. is why I wanted to cover it. I, I really do. I really do think that injury and, and lasting harm are different. Are very different. One hundred percent. I think if you agree. are in a situation where you you will not live without uh-huh. causing injury or harm, right? Um, you minimize that as much as possible, and you do what you need to do to get yourself to safety. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, we've talked a little bit about objective morality mm-hmm. and how you find that, but the weird thing is. A lot of people still disagree on it. Yeah. Some like everyone wants to say that they have like the right idea behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough because we've seen throughout history that objective morality changing and evolving. And so my question is, um, do you think it will continue to evolve to just get better and better? Like humans are still evolving, like animals are still evolving. Do you think it'll just grow along with us? Or do you think there is a specific like set of rules that are like no these and that's it i think we have a kind of twisted assumption of what a better morality means mm-hmm. if i look around me at the world today i don't really see a morally driven world i see, no. I see a world that's driven by self-interest if i look back to the 1600s or the 1300s or the 1100s i don't see anything different yeah i see less scientific uh discovery i see more religious superiority mm-hmm. um or supremacy i should say right um i see more more wars and more famine and more plague but i also look around me today and what do i see i see 
war and famine, famine and plague. plague. Yeah. Um, I see a stand-in feudal system of the elites that have mm-hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars versus the 30-somethings who are working three jobs to keep their kids in school. Right. I don't really see those things as that different, mm-hmm. even though we put new names on them. So, so do I think morality has been changing? Maybe? I... Yeah, the big example that uh, I had talking to a friend about, I was talking to my friend Ethan, and we Mm -hmm. we had a huge discussion about this last night. We both were raised in the same church growing up and had a lot of the things, the same things, like, forced upon us. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the Bible, like, if you were trying to use just that as your objective morality, it's flawed because it, it... maybe not promotes, but accepts slavery. It accepts beating your children, Mm. like several other things like that. And when I've talked to other people about that, especially people that were in that church, um, there's no good defense from it other than, Oh, but that's not what it, you know, really means. Mm -hmm. And so that, and that was the standard for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even up to like 200 years ago, that was what was being used Yes. As morally just and morally correct. Yeah, and then I think we can we can agree that the context of the culture that the Bible was written mm-hmm. in um, had to be have been morally flawed, just yes. like our context. Our is context morally flawed. is more. R- regardless of your religious interpretation of the Bible, it was written by men yes. and in the context of men. Exactly, um, and I think that that that's why I don't take everything literally in the Bible mm-hmm. because context changes. Right. And the context alters your interpretation. Um, so I think that's I think that's important to know. And I think that you're right to to look at something mm-hmm. and go, well, I don't I don't think I can use this as my moral standard. Right. Um, and that, that's that's really important to know because yes. of, of course you can't. We can't uh-huh. use anything as our moral standard because we know that there is nothing that could possibly be morally correct 100 percent of the time. Absolutely, I totally agree. And it's funny because you said take a hard look at your own uh, morals and everything. Um, so that's where ethics comes in. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Ethics, the self-examination of your own morals mm-hmm. and your own life. And so it's it's funny because we've talked about objective morality, what we think is like maybe the, the truth, even though we can't really for 100% sure say anything is objectively true. Mm-hmm. It's all subjective. And therefore, that's where ethics comes into play, where you have to... Um, examine your own morals and really critically think about it. Yes. And then put back out into the world mm-hmm. uh, the morals that you have deemed like useful and and important to you. Yes. So t- talk to me a little bit about your own ethics. My I, own yes. ethics. Uh-huh. So ethics as a whole, I think it has always been a tough category because we talk about the... Um, is X ethical mm-hmm. conundrum of life all the time? We go, is that ethical? Um, I have concluded I am not ethical and I can never be ethical. Interesting. Beyond my own personal sphere of influence. Uh-huh. So I do everything I can to be ethical within my personal sphere of influence. Right. Um, but I cannot guilt or hold myself accountable to things that are outside of my sphere of influence for sure beyond a reasonable reach so Mm -hmm. i still eat meat because it is better for my health and for my mental state to not restrict food from my diet 
I do not believe that the mass production of meat is ethical right. in any way. I do believe that it is ethical to raise and kill your own animals. Mm-hmm. When I have money and space to do so, I will do that. Yeah. Um, and so I cannot reach the highest form of my ethics because of limitations on my personal life, such as right. money, space, time, and ability. Um, and so then I have to put my ethical structure into the things that I do have control over, how yeah. I treat my friends, um, yeah. how I produce my work. Um, I try not to cheat. I try not to lie. Um, I try to do things that I can be proud of. Um, and I try to treat people with respect. For sure. Um, and that is my ethical sphere. It is unfortunately very small. Right. Um, I don't believe in guilting yourself or others mm-hmm. for things outside of your ethical sphere. I, a big thing that we see, see now is, is like, what do you mean you don't recycle everything that's recyclable? What do you right. mean you still eat meat right. if you're so ethical? Um, and like the the truth the truth is there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Nope. There is very little that you can do um, that is going to be purely ethical because everything is connected to something else. So mm-hmm. you have to do the best that you can within your context for sure. and not shame yourself for it. I I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. I, I um, especially on the subject of meat, I understand that it is wrong and like wasteful even because mm-hmm. the the amount of uh, resources it takes to even raise one cow is so much more than that cow is going to give or be able to give. Yeah, and, and the and only reason for that is, is money. Yeah, exactly. You, you can raise a cow using significantly less resources than are used in mass production. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I just wrote a paper about the difference between local farming and corporate farming. Shout yeah. out to Worley Farms in, um, oh my gosh, are they in Cashers? I think they're in Cashers. They're they're in, in the Jackson County area. I did uh-huh. I the interview... Um, the woman who runs Worley Farms um, about their production of meat. And when I asked her, like, hey, how many cows do you have? She went and counted them. Wow. Because she could do that. Yeah. Whereas, like, I researched Tyson Farms, and they produce over 11 million animals a, a week. Oh, my God. Um, and and their, their standards are completely different because the standards mm-hmm. of... The standards of ethical consumption are built from the top. Right. So they're as minimal as possible. Um, so if, mm-hmm. if you ask a small farmer how much room they should have for a cow, um, just a very fun, I don't, I wish I had this knowledge off the top of my head, but there's a very funny fact about like cow days. Like oh. it takes, it takes one cow, 80 cow days to eat 80 acres of land. It takes 80 cows, one cow day to eat 80. Like, right. it was like something like ridiculous like that. It's very fun. Um, and if you, so you ask them, they're like, oh yeah, like 10 acres, like one, one to 10 acres of cow, um, maybe more. You ask uh, Tyson Farms and they're like nine feet, oh. nine, nine to 20 feet is free range for a cow. Oh. Um, and that's, that's awful. and that's what they consider cage free. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there is no, you can't look at anything and go, yeah, this person probably had the best interest at heart. Right. And if you're in a place to shop local or to farm your own food, like, 100% do that. go for that. But if you're a college student who makes $7 mm-hmm. an hour, lay off yourself a little bit. Yeah, you can't You can't sit there and judge no. yourself for that because you're not in the position to, like, be able yeah. to be in there. Acknowledge your ethical sphere and, sphere and one day when you are in a place of power... Do something about it. Exactly. When, when your sphere grows, continue acknowledging it. That's all you can do. Yeah. So um, it's really interesting. I did some research about just like morals, where they come from scientifically, mm-hmm. where we get that, where we get the treat others as you'd want to be treated. Mm-hmm. So um, Giacomo Rizzolatti, he was studying uh, 
mirror neurons in monkeys. Uh-huh. And like we had we had seen mirror neurons where because it's, it's the saying monkey see, monkey do. It's because their brain can absorb that information and then copy. But mm-hmm. the difference between us and then monkeys is that we not only see like how to copy something, but like why and what it would mean to us. So it's literally just the the biological evolution of empathy in human beings. I read about the mirror neuron study and that there was one where did you read about this where they showed the monkey two ways to solve a problem, uh-huh. one that was ineffective and one that was effective, and the monkey ended up figuring out the one that was effective and choosing to do the effective one instead of just copying the ineffective one. Whoa, that's huge. Yeah, it was really it was I, I, I need to pull up a source for that. Yeah, it yeah. was really interesting. No, that's okay. really interesting. Carry that's on. sick. That was the really interesting point to me that I found, which really helped me understand that, first of all, objective morality is something that most people have. Because most people, to some extent, understand empathy. Mm -hmm. So if you can understand empathy, then you can understand objective morality. Whether it's the same for everyone or not, we all have a general idea of what it is. I mean, do you remember the first bad thing you did? Oh, yeah. Did you you wrestle with it either before oh, or after? One hundred percent. Right? Yeah. That's like that's a normal human process. You, 100%. you wrestle with, with if you do something bad, you really think about it. Yeah. Um. And if you don't, like that's like a that's a neurological condition. Right. It's not normal. It's considered abnormal. Is there one? Is there a condition for people who wrestle with it like too much? Like, just feel immense Anxiety. guilt. Cool. Okay. That's really good to know. <laughs> I have anxiety. When I when I was a kid, when I was four years old, I stole a Linden truffle from the Old Navy counter because I didn't know that all candy oh. wasn't free. Um, and I wrestled with that for like seven years. I like I, I like thought I was going to hell because I Damn. stole a truffle that I didn't know wasn't free. Um, and you know what I have? Anxiety. So. Wow. Yeah. Anxiety, the inverse of sociopathy. I don't think that's a true comparison. I don't know if that's a true comparison, but like pretty but much. It's kind of funny. I, you know, that's quite the thing to wrestle with. I definitely like. I felt bad as a kid, like over everything. My mm-hmm. my mom used to be like, "You have a very good, sen- clear sense of like what's right and what's wrong," and I just want you to stick to that. And I I held myself to that like standard mm-hmm. of well, I'm I know what's right. So every time I'd like fuck up somehow, I would just like feel awful about yeah. it. I still do the same thing. I mean, I I wrestle with things from, like, years ago yeah. still, and I'm just like, ah! It's difficult. It's difficult. It's definitely the worst. And so it's like, thanks, mirror neurons. You're just on, like, overdrive. Uh, just Dicks. freaking out. So then here's something okay. I would love to get to. Um, if we have this idea of objective morality, essentially all people know that treat others as you want to be treated. Be nice to other people. If you are a moral per- moral, moral person, but you still are a person, mm-hmm. so you mess up, how do you move on from that, and how do you grow from that? Oh, how do you move on from messing up? Or yeah, how the- yeah. Oh. Like if you're if you're moral, you know you've done something wrong. Where do you go from there? For forgiveness is a moral trait. Yeah, forgive. We we, ch- we choose to forgive people to reduce harm to ourselves and sometimes harm to them. Right. So. If I can't forgive myself for doing harm and then also take the ethical and moral steps to make amends for that, mm-hmm. um, I'll never get over it. Right. The only way, the only way you can get over things um, is by making amends with yourself, making amends with the person if that's possible, yeah. and forgiving yourself and forgiving them. Yeah. Um, that's how that's how we 
let those things go in a sense. Um, it's, I, I find it sad, sad to say many people have a lot of things on their hearts that they, that are there forever. Yeah. They never let them go. Um, for some people, I think that's deserved. I think if, I think if, I think if there's like, they've caused that much harm right. and they realize it and it's, it's heavy on them. It, it probably should be. There's some, there's some people that you hurt to an extent that they're not around to get forgiveness from. Yeah. Um, they're not around, around for you to make amends from. And that's awful. Yeah. But I think that's kind of like a, a cosmic justice for causing that much harm. For sure. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, you have to find a way to forgive yourself and move on in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on, on a, the other end of that, I think that there's times where something minor will sit with you for far too long because yeah. it's you've made it this end-all be-all of your worth and your mind. For sure. Um, and I think that's kind of self-destructive at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I definitely sit around with things that I like feel that I feel very guilty for. Yeah, where, I, where I, or I'll like rehash a situation I've made my peace with and mm-hmm. go, well, maybe I was wrong there. Maybe I was wrong there. Yes, um, yes. And that's just kind of be, me being a bully to yeah. myself. It's just kind of being a bully. Um, I um here, here's the thing. Like I I completely understand that. There's so many like minor things that I've sat with even made amends for Mm -hmm. and I still go back and feel awful about but something that I heard about doing that is incredibly helpful even if like say you can't go back and talk to the person or say like that's just a different part of your life Mm -hmm. now you can still go back and forgive yourself yeah the best thing to do is like whether during a meditation practice or whatever if you're just like rehashing the conversation Mm -hmm. in your mind if you can go back to like those moments where either you hurt someone, someone hurt you, mm. anything like that, and you just go into that situation as you are now, mm-hmm. and like having grown, having matured, having become a different person, even, mm-hmm. but going back and forgiving not only yourself, forgiving the other people, forgiving all of that, and then handling the situation as you would now, it's very therapeutic, and yeah, it's very, like, cathartic, because you are able to just, like, realize that that's not you. Yeah, yeah. To, um, to back away from the situation and see it more broadly. Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty much most of what I wanted to cover. Um, this has been very interesting. Yeah. It's I've, I've enjoyed hearing about um, morality from, from your perspective, for sure. I Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that it helped me to find that there is a scientific reason for morality, the way we see it. There, like, if you take away every other aspect of morality from the you know, top down, given from religion or a higher authority, if you take away all of that, we have basic empathy and we have basic morals ingrained into us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was reading one scientist and, oh, darn, I forgot his name, but he had a funny quote, which was like, Honestly, I'm more scared of people who their only thing keeping them from acting recklessly is a moral code given by God. Because <laughs> then it's like, oh, without that, then they just go crazy. But I, th- I think we're the only animals that are immoral. I, th- I think all animals are moral except for us. I, um, because hmm. so I, I'm, I'm currently writing a paper on this, so I, yeah. I apologize for no, already no, having a piece of statement. Let's go for it. Um, I'm writing a paper about Animal Farm, specifically uh-huh. the, yes. the last scene of Animal Farm. You've read it. You've read I have, it. yeah. Uh, where the pigs turn into people. Uh-huh. Um, and so my thesis is that because we have a cultural understanding that animals will not 
make a society. They will not uh, make a hierarchy beyond what is necessary. They will not really cause harm to one another without need. Right. Because um, the biggest ways animals cause harm is either uh, to protect themselves or to eat. Yep. Um, and beyond that, they don't really go around killing things for trophies. Like, that's nope. not a thing that they do. They don't, they don't um... They don't just go hunt for fun. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a necessity only. Yes. Um, but humans, we, we choose to kill in right. a way that is not sustenance. We choose to, uh, enslave things that mm-hmm. animals don't really do. Um, and so, in Animal Farm, when the pigs start to act like people... At first, you're going, wow, they're exhibiting signs of intelligence. But the more you read, you go, they're actually exhibiting signs of immorality. Yes. Um, And so the longer the book goes on, they exhibit so many signs of immorality and so many that that slowly morph into signs of humanity that they become indistinguishable from humans. Whoa. Um, And the other animals are confused because they didn't exhibit those signs of immorality. So the question is, is are humans scientifically the most moral or because we are consciously moral we are now consciously immoral as well. Oh, that's so good. That is so good, Georgia. I, cause no, no, I, I'd say that that's a tough one. It's in, cause you don't want to think about yourself as immoral. Right. But no, I'd say we are, I'd say out yeah. of all things, we are definitely the most immoral because we can understand morality mm-hmm. and therefore choose one way or the other to act on that. The fact that we can even do that. Yeah makes us the most immoral. Because we don't know if animals are able to conceptualize their, their morality. Right. Um, I do feel like when my dog wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning to just bark, <laughs> he is consciously immoral. He's but consciously I have no proof of this. <laughs> to just be annoying. Yes. Um, but, yes. I, but I have proof from my own life that I have before chosen to sure. be unkind, to uh, to harm someone else, to harm my own ethics uh-huh. uh, for personal gain. And then I have to conclude that I must also be immoral. Right. Um, and no, most I, people around me are as well. And that's the thing, because of that ability to choose, I feel like every human being is, is immoral Mm -hmm. to some extent, no matter how quote unquote, like perfect or moral you think you are, we all are immoral. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that we're all bad people. Oh yeah. No, I don't, I don't think that being, I don't think that making mistakes makes you a bad person. Right. Um, I... I have a pretty, like, narrow view of what makes you a bad person, Uh and it's pretty much just not caring at all. Always choosing personal gain, regardless of the harm you cause, or worse, ignoring the harm you cause entirely. Interesting. Um, That is, uh, like, like... The way my, my the way my ethics are structured, I know that I can't fix everything. Yeah. Uh, that does not mean I'm not acknowledging the harm those things cause. I feel Guilt. upset that the clothes that I wear is cr- crafted in an unethical way, and that right. I don't have the resources or ability to solve that problem. Yeah. I acknowledge that it is there, though. I unfortunately have come to the realization that the people who sold me this clothes are not. Yeah. And they don't really care that much. Which makes it, I don't know. Which makes it feel even worse. It does. Like, it makes it feel pretty awful. But yeah, there is definitely, and I noticed that in my own life, there are definitely people who take responsibility, even if it's nothing. I I feel like for me, I I apologize too much and like feel bad a lot for things that aren't even like a big deal. Mm -hmm. But there are some people who just do not feel that. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very clear distinction between Mm -hmm. a good and a bad person versus, you know, moral and immoral people. Because technically, um, we're all immoral to some extent. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think we are all immoral to some extent, and I and I don't believe that anyone is out of the realm of forgiveness. I right. like I, I think that everyone has a moment in their life where they get to choose. Yeah. Um, 
or and I mean there are people now that I that I don't really think are good people who control a lot of our world who could in a day say I've realized that I'm being unethical and here are the changes that I would make and I would change my opinion of them yeah quite quickly if that were to happen um, but I, I think the lack of awareness is what causes the most most difficulty right. no it's definitely that's such a good view to have though and like a, a forgiving view to have truly does to see someone have enough of anything to solve all of the problems and go, nah, how do you do that? How do you do that? That's it's... hard for, it's hard for me to see. And it's, it's like, it, it's hard for me to see because if, you, if that same person gives away enough money right. um, or says enough nice things, then we brand them a good person societally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I do believe that that is, that, that level of greed is immoral. To an extent. Truly, truly immoral. No, I mean, if you've got, Enough to solve all the issues and... And you don't. You don't. Because my, my sphere of influence is tiny. Yeah. we. Like, I would love a sphere of influence that big. Right? Oh, my God. The way that, like, the world would change. But, you know, slowly but surely, we're mm-hmm. getting there. We've got 30 listeners now, like, weekly, whoa. so... Whoa, 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 whoa. Just give it a year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, really, I do appreciate you guys listening. Absolutely. I, I it means a lot, guys. These uh, conversations resonate in, one, in some way. Yeah. And that you're finding ways in your own life to forgive yourself for the things you can't fix mm-hmm. and uh, put energy and hope into the things that are within your sphere of influence. Because if we all work together, we have a much bigger bubble here. Absolutely. So a lot God more damn, that is a lot well more that we can impact. You, you gave me goosebumps there. <laughs> that was really <laughs> good. <laughs> well, guys, yeah, I hope, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It yeah, was really fun for prepping for it. Oh, thank, no, thank you for letting me. It was really of fun. Of course. Next, I, in two weeks, we'll come back with me talking about something that I've learned in a class because I get really excited. Also, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. a nerd. Um, sweet. Thank you well, guys yeah. so much again. And thank you, Cody. Oh, thank uh, you. We'll, we'll see, see you next week. Until then... Drink some coffee. I guess.